good morning. I am so delighted to be with you here today. And I'm the children and family pastor, which means I have the best job here at the church. So sorry to my fellow peers. But I mean, do you see the things we do up there? We talk about God's power and then we build volcanoes to demonstrate. Maybe we should do some of those things here. But anyway, I have a lot of fun up there working with, with your children and the families of our kids. And I'm delighted that I get to share with you today. And yeah, they gave me an easy one. First time out of the gate, I got an easy one. So yay. Actually, I'm just joking. I'm very passionate about this topic. And uh, Todd is equally passionate. And I actually asked if he would be okay if I shared on this today. And he graciously allowed. So I'm delighted to be able to be here again with you today. So abortion, that is a difficult topic. It is a very sensitive and complicated topic on so many levels. And we have a cultural narrative out there that is telling us that abortion is no big deal. Um, it's just an easy option, and it's a normal option for us to choose. As a matter of fact, we have a cultural narrative who is teaching us that it is actually empowering to women, and it's freedom, it's freeing for us. And if we're honest, as women, we haven't always had the freedom to choose, and we haven't always been as empowered as we are today. So in many ways, that narrative can feel very attractive. But my goal here today is to help you see a little bit underneath that, some behind the scenes of what's really going on beneath the narrative that the culture presents for us. In 2018, abortion was the leading cause of death worldwide, with 42 million victims. To give you a little bit of perspective, the latest data coming out of the Holocaust have about 20 million lives that Hitler was responsible for killing. So that's pretty sobering. But it's, there's so many levels to that. It's so complex, and there's so many factors that are leading to those numbers that we see. And I want to share a few of those with you. In Iceland, for example, which many consider to be a progressive utopia, the abortion rate for children diagnosed with Down syndrome approaches 100%. 100%. They have all but eliminated Down syndrome in Iceland. Here in the US, those numbers approach 90%. Many times doctors even ask, as women and men are in these appointments and they get diagnosed maybe with an issue, they'll ask, would you like to abort this pregnancy? So one of these layers, complexities, these factors that we see leading to this issue is now we have the right to choose if we want to bring disabled children into this world. Another factor leading to this, in New York City, for example, there are more black pre-born children that are aborted than are even born. That breaks my heart. The poverty, the hardship, fathers not sticking around, lead many women in these kinds of situations to feel like they have no other option, that they feel trapped, and that this is the only way they know to go forward. Another layer, another factor that contributes to these numbers, in Asia, for example, widespread sex-selective abortion has led to as many as 160 million missing women. That's more than the pop female population here in the US. In China, for example, many of you have probably heard they used to have this one-child policy. Families were only allowed to bring one child into the world. That was enacted many years ago. And it was only about five or six years ago that they changed that to two children. And even just this year, they changed that to three. Well, you can imagine, in countries like that, there is such a preference for male children you can imagine that what, does, what that does to female children that are going to be born. The abortion rate skyrocketed. And in attempts to help kind of protect against this, they actually did, in some areas, 
implement a policy that allowed you to have a second child if your first one was a female. There's a lot of data actually to support that sex-selective abortions are happening here in the US as well. So that's another complicated layer. There's about one in five pregnancies and an abortion. So that's just a small glimpse of the magnitude of this issue and the far-reaching implications that we see and all the things that kind of contribute towards this. But I want to share another layer, another factor that leads to this, the complexity of this issue. In the US, there's about a million men and women that are affected by abortion each year. And with each and every abortion come very confusing and mixed feelings, oftentimes feelings of regret and sadness. And with those feelings, many people feel like they can't talk about it. There's such a shame that comes with that, that they feel like they cannot share. And so they begin to struggle with this in isolation. And they feel even more alone and even more trapped. You see, that's not the narrative that's being presented. It's being presented that it's no big deal. It's just we're empowering women. But that's not the whole truth. And sure, for some, maybe it, it isn't as big of a deal. But for many, it is. Many men and women and grandparents, family members, people are affected by this. The feelings are so intense that they actually have their own syndrome, post-abortion syndrome, which is a form of PTSD. Compared with women who have given birth, with those who have aborted, the risk for death drastically increases from all causes, but most notably, suicide. So what we see here with this very complicated issue is not only do we have the lives of the unborn, but we have the lives of the mothers that are affected as well. And so what in the world are we to do with that? Our sermon, our title today is, Has the Church Given Up? And honestly, it can seem that way. It can feel like we have because the issue is so huge and it's hard to know what in the world to do to make a difference. There are so many factors that contribute, so many far-reaching implications. You, you may think, well, I wouldn't, but you know, I don't want to tell other people. It's, it's, it's huge and we don't always know what to do. So it can appear that maybe we've given up. But my goal here today is to encourage us and to empower us, to engage our culture, to lovingly stand so that it doesn't appear as if we've given up. Before I continue, though, I do want to take a pause, and I want to acknowledge all who may be listening here. This is a sensitive and difficult topic. And so as we sit here today, or as we listen online, we have a variety of people who are here. We have some who feel very strong opinions on this topic. And with those strong opinions come strong feelings of perhaps anger, impatience, disgust, fed up with the other side, perhaps. But we also have people who come here today carrying with them feelings of grief and sadness, discouragement. And we want to hold those feelings tenderly because Jesus holds those tenderly. We also have people who come today here who come here today and maybe have no idea what to think. Maybe not even sure if we buy this whole God thing and, and what he says in his word. No matter what perspective or place we are coming from, we are all coming here today as a family and as a community to grow and to learn together. And I want to ask that we take pause and take stock of our own heart and allow God to pierce into the very depths of our hearts. And that we allow him to open our eyes and ears to hear from him and him alone. If you come here today and you 
or coming with shame, I pray that God's grace would overwhelm you. If you are coming with anger, I pray that God's peace would soften your heart. And if you are coming with sadness, I pray that God's hope would fill you. And if you're coming looking for truth, I pray that Jesus would reveal truth to you. See, we are coming here together today to grow as a family in our understanding of truth, what God says in his word, but also grace, the wisdom to know how to live this out and how to love others in the midst of a very difficult and painful struggle. And so with that, let me continue our time in prayer. If you would pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, I do thank you for being here. And I thank you for knowing each and every one of us so deeply and intimately. And you know who sits in this room and who listens online, and you know the things we need to hear. I pray that you would speak right to our hearts. The enemy wants to seek, kill, and destroy, Lord. I pray that you would empower us, give us wisdom, and how we stand against that, and how we love your people. Thank you, Lord, for your love for us and your grace first and foremost. In your name we pray. Amen. So... How do we engage our culture? How do we lovingly stand for life? Well, we begin with his word. We begin by being rooted in truth. And at the very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, we are learning how God brought all of this into existence. And starting at verse 26, he talks about bringing us into existence. So what does our Heavenly Father say, as we are looking at truth, what does our Heavenly Father say, I have it on here, about life? Let's read in verse uh, 1, 26, you can follow along with me. It's also in your bulletins if you'd like to look there. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We are made in the very image of God. The God of the universe has made us in his image. That is incredible. Let that sink in for just a moment. If we've been around church for a long time, that may feel familiar. Don't let that be familiar. We are unlike any other created thing that he has made. We are the pinnacle of his creation. Our capacity to love, the emotions that we can experience, our inherent sense of right and wrong that's just within us, our intelligence, our ability to reason, our ability to even know and understand God, the deep sense of longing that is within all of us for something more, some meaning, some purpose that's beyond what we see. One of my favorite quotes comes from Augustine. It's in my email signature, if you've gotten an email from me. But he says, Lord, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. We have been created and designed in the image of God. We have been made for him. And you can see in our culture that we search for things to fill that and we search in so many ways, but our hearts are only, we only find peace when we find them in God. So we are made in the very image of God. And in addition to being made in his image, we are made with meaning, with purpose, with intentionality. There's some other verses I want to share with you in Psalm 139. 
you haven't read this psalm in a while or haven't ever read it, I want to encourage you. This is an incredibly beautiful psalm from start to finish. In another quiet moment outside of this, I would encourage you to read through it and let God's words of love just wash over you. But today we're going to start at verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes, they saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. The intentionality and purposefulness with which we see God creating us in these verses is breathtaking to me. In 13, forming our inward parts, knitting us together, our frames not being hidden, made in the secret place, woven in the depths of the earth. He, his eyes saw our unformed substance, and every day was ordained even before one of them came to be. I mean, that's, that's incredible. The intentionality we see here should take our breath away. And what we see by these verses is that there are no mistakes. Life has great meaning, and every life has great purpose. And what is fascinating about as we look at these verses, specifically Psalms, as we see in God's word and how he outlines how he has formed us, we now see in science, it totally lines up. It's incredible. When Roe versus Wade was first handed out years ago, they didn't know what was going on in the development of life. We know so much more now in the study of embryology. I don't know if you've ever looked it up, but I looked it up in preparation for this. It is fascinating understanding the development process that goes on from the first days, weeks, every, every moment has such purpose to, to that life and bringing it to be, to be the beautiful creation that God has intended it to be. When we talk about the knitting together, as you read some of those details, it just gives new meaning to those words. One of the things that really stood out to me as I was studying that is in the first few weeks, this little life that is inside this mother, the body sends out signals to protect it, to keep it, to care for it, to protect it from being harmed or abused by the body. And one thing that happens as that little life is getting nutrients from the mother's blood, there's a thin membrane that is formed to protect it so that the antibodies don't head into this little life. And antibodies, as we know, it is part of our immune system. God designed that to help protect us from sickness and to attack things that are foreign and could cause us harm. Well, but the body is so intricately created that it protects this little life from being attacked by that in that way. And that's just one thing that happens in the early weeks. I mean, it's just, it really is, it's a beautiful thing as you read that when you think about how God has knitted this life together. So what these are showing us is that again, there are no mistakes. God purposed each life and planned each life, no matter what the circumstances were that brought that life into existence. You have meaning, you have purpose, no matter what circumstances you have lived through, no matter what circumstances you may find yourself in here today, you have meaning and value and purpose by the God of the universe. And that is beautiful. So as we talk about engaging our culture and standing for life, this is where we start. We need to be rooted in truth. We need to have a foundation in truth. And that is what we can build upon as we try to engage our world around us. But the second thing we need to do is we need to love those who have been affected by this issue. 
And this is oftentimes where I don't think the church always does this well. There's a saying that I've been hearing out there that the church needs to become more known for what it's for than what it's against. Because oftentimes the perception that the world has of Christians is that we're not, you know, we don't really care about a woman's right or we're intolerant or we're judgmental or, you know, all these things. We need to show a different story. We need to show that we are for love, that we are for life, all life, the unborn life, but also those who have been wounded by this issue. We need to love people and show compassion where others don't. That's the story that we need to be known for. And so as we talk about what this looks like for us to love those who are affected, where we begin, we begin from a place of showing empathy. It is not a good idea for us to assume we understand anyone's story. There are so many, as I've shared a little bit already, there are so many complicating factors that lead women to make the choices that they make. And we need to understand that and try to come from a place of understanding that. For some, there's just an ignorance. People just don't know what this life is inside of them. The culture says it's just a bunch of tissues and it's no big deal, and many people just think that to be true. I was talking with a woman, actually there were several women I've been talking with to hear their stories, some who've had abortions, some who haven't, just as I prepared for this time. And there was one woman, she didn't have an abortion, but she didn't think there was any problems with it because she believed what culture said. She believed it was just tissue. And actually, she didn't understand what was really going on inside of her until she was pregnant with the first time, for her first time. And she saw with that ultrasound that heartbeat, and she heard that heartbeat. And then she realized there was a different story. But some people just don't know. They just are ignorant. Some women, they feel trapped. They feel like they have no other option. The crisis of having an unplanned pregnancy can lead to some overwhelming feelings, some very vulnerable feelings, and, and not knowing which way to go and what, what direction to make. And some feel like this is literally all they can do. My cousin is one of these women. She has, had had, back when this happened, she had had several abortions already. And she was addicted to drugs and drinking, and she was living with my uncle, and it was, it was just not a good situation very difficult situation. And they were all encouraging her toward uh, ending this life. Well, enter my empathetic and compassionate precious mother who just wanted, it's gonna make me cry, who just wanted to come alongside her and show her that there's a different story. And when women are hurting like that, oftentimes they're open to hearing other stories. And so my mom took her to a pregnancy clinic and in this place, they loved my cousin and they walked alongside her and they got her into rehab and they carried, with her, carried her every step of the way till that baby was born. And to this day, the family is so grateful that my mom entered into this story with empathy and compassion. Some women, they feel trapped, but they're pressured into a decision. They don't know what to do and sometimes the men pressure them, sometimes fa other family members. And they feel like they want to trust those that they love. Sometimes they're fearful. They're pressured because they're afraid. There's all kinds of reasons that lead women to make this choice. And as we seek to love those who have been affected, we have to start at this place of empathy, listening to their stories and loving them. And as we are listening and loving and empathizing, we also need to be willing to share the new story that God wants for their life. And I'm not talking about forcing this on them necessarily, but again, oftentimes when people are in a vulnerable and 
what seems to be a hopeless situation, they're looking for something to give them hope. And so we need to be willing to share with them that this is not the story God wants for them. That as we find our identity in Christ, there is joy, there is freedom, there is peace, there is forgiveness that comes with being wrapped up in who Jesus is. And we need to, as we love them, we love them by showing them a freedom story, showing them another story, and telling them who they are in God's eyes. Another way we share and love those who have been affected is being willing to share our own story. This is one of those issues in life that carries a lot of shame and a lot of stigma. So most people don't feel like they can talk about it, especially in the church. And that's one of the things that makes me really sad. We feel like we can't share because we're not sure how people are going to view us. They're going to not think the same of us. We may not be accepted. But the church is not supposed to be that way. The church is supposed to be the very family the very group of people where we come with our most vulnerable things, our most broken places, and we come and we have people who walk alongside us and carry us when we can't stand. That's what the church is supposed to be. The enemy, he wants to keep these things in secret because there's a lot of power when things are kept in the dark. And shame and grief can hold us hostage. But as things come out into the light, some of that power is broken. And so one of the ways that we can love is by being willing and vulnerable to share our own story so that women and men and others know that they're not alone in this journey. And today I actually have a lady, a young woman who is going to share her story with you today as a way to encourage you and to love you. And so I'm going to invite Lisa Ryan. She's making her way up here. She is a woman in our church and she is going to share her journey with you today. So let me grab your mic, Miss Lisa. Thank you for coming here. Would you just share your story with us? Thank you. Hi. So um, in some ways, my story starts here, really, because um, my story led me here. Um, so when I was 17, I had a unplanned pregnancy, and I was scared, and I lived with my father, who is a very loving man, and, but, you know, we didn't have, we, did, we were doing okay, but I thought, an extra person, that's going to be too hard for him, I don't know that he can take care of both of us, and it wasn't fair to him, uh, my boyfriend at the time, uh, he was drug addicted, so that kind of was hard to think about making a life at that time with a child. So, you know, once I realized I was for sure pregnant, um, you know, I went to my mom and we, I decided that I was going to terminate the pregnancy. Um, and I just thought it was best for everybody because I didn't want to burden anybody with something, the mistake I had made. I felt that it wasn't their responsibility. And I really didn't know that it, I could take on that responsibility. So, you know, my mom had went with me to the clinic. And when I was there, they did a, they do an ultrasound. And they asked me, did you want to see the ultrasound? And I said, no, I, I did not want to. And I might have made a difference. I might have seen the child and made a difference. And, I just, 
chose not to. So after that, I went through the procedure. And I woke up, and I remember hearing a woman crying, 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 crying. And then I kind of started to, to moan as it came out of the, the, the you know, stuff that makes you go to sleep. And they said, I heard, I remember them saying, oh, she's, she's imitating that, that woman that's crying or something like that. And I, I, it just was somewhat callous in a way, because this woman was deeply crying, and, and I was sad. And then I just remember going home and you know, I felt empty and sad, and I didn't, we never, after that, never talked about it. Never, ever, nobody talked about it. And, you know, 20 years, I pushed it down. I wasn't going to talk about it. I couldn't talk about it. I told myself, oh, you know, it was just cells and nothing else. And, you know, because I didn't see the ultrasound, so I didn't know what it was. And that got me through for a while, but it was always haunting me, always in the back of my mind, always something that I lived with, but I lived with it by myself. And then time went on, and I reached a point that it, I couldn't ignore it anymore. My, my whole, I started to develop panic attacks. Um, and I know that that was God calling me because I would come to the church on my own. I, I mean, I was a person of faith, and so was my mom. I mean, not like I thought I was. I didn't understand it until later, but, you know, my mom was a person of faith, too. And, but I just couldn't come to the church. I felt guilty and shameful, and I didn't know that I could be redeemed. And then I just started to have so much problems, and I, I just felt like God calling me, to, and I went, I've got to find a church. I've got to find somewhere. I've got, to, I've got to go. So I looked and I looked and I looked and I kept coming back here and coming back here. And I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll go there by myself and I'll test it out. I'll see if I can go. You know, here I am with panic attacks. So it's really, it was a struggle to, to sit. I went to the back of the pews. Um, I tried to sneak out the door for a while instead of coming through with all the people. And... I did get an answer to a prayer. Uh, Catherine Peters spoke about Living Well and the uh, abortion recovery group. I didn't know there was such a thing, and it really was an answer to what I had been needing all my for 20 years. And I went to that class, and it was hard. But there were, you know, Catherine and and Judy that they just came out with, to me and with love and other women that were going through the same struggle. It wasn't just me, it's other people. Their stories were similar to mine, but you know, different in their own ways, but I didn't feel alone anymore. And we worked through the grief that I had that I never dealt with. And there is a grieving process that needs to happen because you've lost something. And whether that's, you know, that, that's your, that was a future that you could have took, a path you didn't take. It's, it's, there's a grieving process, and there are many women that go through this class, believers, non-believers, who feel the same, a loss, and they need to process it, and I was able to do that finally. That's the reason I can speak today and, and say, I'm okay with exposing this element of me that is, is a dark part, I feel, but it's not dark anymore because 
God redeems me. He takes all sin away, and all sin is the same, small and large, is all the same to God, but he wipes that away with Christ. And those women taught me that and made me a true believer. And that's, it's a relief to be free in a lot of ways, you know. Keep going. All right. So I just want to say that, you know, Living Well is a great place. They, they're here to help women to make choices, but they're also there to help women that have made choices. And they're there to guide you, to love on you, and that's what I needed. And I'm forever thankful for what they do every day to help young mothers and tell some beautiful stories about babies who were going to be terminated and the lives that they saved. It's, it's amazing. I mean, some of these people are pastors and other great things, and it's just inspiring to hear their stories of being where they were going to be terminated, and now they're beautiful people who are living great lives, and women that are like me who are struggling with what happened and now able to move on. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a gift. So. Thank you, Lisa. Okay, thank if you could tell women, if you wanted them to hear or understand anything, what is it you'd want them to know? I want them to know that there's not, nothing to be ashamed of. We all make mistakes in our lives. God wants us to be a part of his community, wants us to be with him. He never wants us to feel so much shame that we won't see his face. He wants us to be near him. And that's why he will always call us. If, he wants, if he's chosen us, he will call us no matter where we are in our lives. And mm -hmm. he will come for us. And that's what I want people to know is that go to those women and, and don't look at them like, oh, you made a terrible mistake. It's like, well, what can we do? What can, how can we help you to navigate through something that's very tough? And that, that's what I'd say is just give them love. Mm. And, and I, there's a lot to be won from that, you know? Mm. Thank you so much, Lisa. Thank you. Well, she currently volunteers at Living Well, and she has actually had a table right out here if you uh, want to talk with her or if you want to see any of the resources. As we're talking about loving others and those who've been affected by it, it's beautiful to be able to share stories like that, but also physically serve somewhere. And Living Well is a crisis pregnancy center, a Christian one that we do partner with. Catherine Dieters, as she mentioned, is a woman who goes here and she works there. So that is a perfect place that you could physically involved if the Lord is be involved if the Lord is stirring your heart. And there's all kinds of different ways. The class that she mentioned is also open to men because men are deeply affected by this too. So they have one for women and they do have one for men. They also have a counselor class that's a four-week counseling class, one night a week, that can help equip you to engage in dialogue with women. You can volunteer and be a counselor or you can just take that class to equip you. Uh, donations are welcome. There's baby bottles, and you'll see a bunch of baby bottles she has at her table. That could be a great way to, as a family maybe to put loose change in there and just raise money, or even just prayer, just praying, doing prayer walks. Um, so those are some ways that we can physically serve. 
So as we engage culture, we need to be rooted and grounded in truth. We need to engage culture by loving those who have been affected. And lastly, we need to love those who could be affected. And what I mean by that is being willing to enter in to dialogue and discussion about this. Uh, this is one of the ways that we can love those who could be affected, is being willing to discuss this issue. This is a very difficult issue, as we're well aware of, and it can be hard to feel like we want to discuss it. Our whole theme verse for this series, is come at, the whole summer series, is out of Colossians. I'm going to read that to you. And it's also, again, in your bulletin. Colossians 4, 5 through 6, it says, Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. That's the whole point of our time today. That's the whole point of our series, is that we would learn how to walk in wisdom towards outsiders, but insiders too. That we would take opportunity and make the best use of time, not avoid things, but make use of this time, but allowing our speech to be gracious, and allow, but also seasoned with salt, which is his truth. That way we know how to answer each person. Oftentimes, I find there's a couple different ways as we attempt to dialogue on difficult issues like this. There's three different ways that we approach these issues. One is we avoid. We feel like it's too touchy, too sensitive. I don't know what to say. I'm not sure how to handle it. People are going to be offended. Uh, it's not my right to say what you should do. I'm just not going to talk about it. But the problem with that is that if we aren't talking about it and dialoguing about it, culture is. And they are a terrible teacher of truth and a terrible giver of love. Another way that we sometimes approach these topics is as, as, is as an aggressor. We get heated, we start to debate, we want to argue and fight people and try to win them over. That is also not helpful, nor does that often show people the love of Christ that we'd like them to see. But there is a third way, and a third way is to be an advocator. To be an advocator for truth, to be an advocator for life, to be an advocator for the joy and peace that is found in Christ. That's what this verse is talking about, engaging in speech, but doing so with grace and wisdom sprinkled with salt. So it's not that we never share truth, but what we need to do as we are an advocator is we need to listen way more than we talk. We need to hear people's stories and ask a lot of questions before we just quickly respond with our thoughts and opinions. And as we're asking questions, there are two kinds of people that we can often find ourselves in dialogue with. So we, we talked just a second ago about people who have been affected. So our approach in those conversations is different. We want to hear their stories. We want to understand where they're coming from and show a lot of empathy. But there's also people who haven't necessarily been affected yet, who could be, you know, but they have thoughts and they have opinions. And so that's the group of people that we're going to talk about real quickly right now. As we engage in dialogue with them, we need to ask lots and lots of questions and listen more. One thing that I have found helpful as we try to enter into dialogue and be willing to listen more is to change our perspective in terms of the goals that we're after in these conversations. Oftentimes, we enter conversations trying to win people over. We want to convince them that they're wrong and they need to think of a different way. There's a book that I read that actually talks about the idea of how we should view our conversations or view this as, as a gardener and a, in God's garden. And I love this metaphor because every one of us, this world, we, this is God's garden. What he does is up to him and the timing is up to him. Our job is to just be a gardener. We may plant a seed, 
and that is success. We may water a seed that's already been planted, and that is success. Or we may get to be part of seeing something blossom, and that is also success. But as we approach conversations, we need to switch our perspective and not make our goal simply to convince them, rather to just get people thinking, to just get them to have a thought that maybe they can't let go of, perhaps put like a pebble in their shoe, if you will. And the way we can kind of do that to get them thinking is there's a couple questions that I found to be very helpful. One is to ask, well, what do you mean by that? So as people lay out statements and opinions and perspectives, well, what do you mean by that? Ask them to define their terms. We make a lot of assumptions in understanding the terms that are used, but just asking, what do you mean by that? And keep asking that is a great way to get them talking. A second question is to ask, well, how do you know that to be true? Those two questions can carry you a long time. What do you mean by that? Well, how do you know that to be true? Because oftentimes, people are able to give kind of the pat answers. Not always, but a lot of times people just know the surface answer that culture teaches or that's, as, that's out there. And as we ask some of those questions, it can start to break down some of the logic and get people to kind of process, well, huh. And again, if we remember, that's our goal, to get people thinking. And when we come with that kind of goal, it takes the pressure off. You're just a gardener, you're part of the process, get them thinking, and then walk away if the conversation doesn't lead any further. So we need to be an advocator. Another way we can love those who could be affected is to continue to educate ourselves. There were a lot of directions we could have gone today on this topic, but we went with the idea of teaching us how to love, not only those who have been hurt and affected, but those who could be, because that is the place we should be coming from. Our hearts need to break for the people who wrestle with this and that's where we can build and actually try to seek for real change. And as we do that, we can further educate ourselves. In your bulletin, hopefully you were given a handout. I realized I, okay, you have it. I got a bulletin, I don't know if I saw it. There was a handout in there and I've listed several resources that would be great following up. If, you, if the Lord is stirring you and you're looking for a little more information, there's a variety of different kind of resources in there that would be great places to start. That counselor class I mentioned would also be a fabulous resource. You don't actually have to volunteer to be a counselor. You can just take the class to learn. And they have one starting in July. You can get some information at the table if that interests you. So we need to further equip and empower ourselves so we can know better how to engage. When Paul talks about in that verse being wise, this is part of making ourselves wise. We also need to educate others. As I mentioned with that woman who just didn't know, there are so many people who just don't know. They're just ignorant of the life that's inside them, what that really means, and they're ignorant of the fact of any other options. I mean, you heard Lisa share, both of those were true for her. She didn't know, she believed what she was being told, and she thought there were no other solutions for her. We have to help educate people to know there's other ways. We can educate our own children, our own grandchildren. We can educate in, in the youth groups here or in other Sunday school classes, perhaps at the schools, community centers, but be willing to educate and teach others from a place of compassion and empathy, though. We always begin there. And lastly, we can actually physically participate in social reform. We need to make sure we're, being, we're voting. We need to make sure we're involved, that we're trying to influence policies and laws that are out there. We can perhaps participate in peaceful protests. Again, we can volunteer at different clinics. We can even run for government. Maybe it's the school board or the city council or maybe even something greater than that. 
We need Christ followers who love Jesus to be in our governments influencing these policies and these procedures, these harmful ones that are getting put out there. So that was a lot, and that was pretty heavy today. So I want to just quickly summarize where we've come and where hopefully we are headed as we walk out of here today. Our goal here today was to encourage us and empower us and equip us to engage on this issue, not to make it appear as if the church has given up. We ask the question, is it time for the church to change? Well, when it comes to truth and standing on God's word, no, we will not change from that what we know to be true. But when it comes to how we're engaging, with others and with our culture, yeah, it might be time for us to change. We need to show more love, more compassion, that there's a different story, that there's another way than what the culture is teaching them, than what people are experiencing out there. You see, sometimes we are considered that we're not for women. Actually, I think this shows that we are more for women and men than just letting them to choose because we're trying to encourage them to choose an option that doesn't bring more heartache. We want people to have more joy. That's our goal. And that joy is only found in Jesus. So let me pray to close our time. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you for this opportunity to be able to dialogue on this issue together. I thank you for Lisa. I thank you for how you've touched and changed her heart and that she could be free in you and see the new identity she's found in you. And I know there are all kinds of people listening and have come from all different places. I pray first and foremost, your grace is loudest in their eyes and in their ears and in their hearts. Lord, stir in our hearts. We don't want to give up anymore. We want to be out there showing love to those who have been affected, but also to those who could be affected. Lord, so I pray that you would encourage our hearts, that you would challenge us, and that we would answer your call. Lord, thank you again for the joy that we find in you and for loving us. In your name we pray.